Episode 39 features Pastor Lola Adielson. In this episode, she discusses her book, Alone But Not Lonely, unveiling the value of solitude, discovering your uniqueness, finding inner peace. I also have a co-host, three years old, with me for this intro. You want to say hi? Hi. That's my little pop pop. Hello, podcast. You know, my dad's at work. And I'm going to do ballet school. Yes, she is going to do ballet school. Can I tell them about the conference Mommy spoke at? I also had the chance to speak at the women's conference Pastor Lola hosted this past Saturday at the church her and her husband pastor, Habitation of Peace in Guelph, Ontario. It was a super anointed event, and I'm definitely going to keep connected to Pastor Lola and to the women of the church. Stay tuned. This episode has been sponsored by the second annual I'm Still Standing Retreat. Please save the date for May 29th to 30th, 2020. The retreat will be held at the Guelph Bible Conference Center and we'll be accepting deposits shortly, so please stay tuned. Lola is an amazing woman of God. She's a social worker, pastor, author, and mother of four. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you. And you wrote a book called Alone But Not Lonely, and I had the opportunity to read it. Um, It was amazing. Thank you very much. (laughs) An amazing, amazing book. And it was extremely encouraging, especially part one that addressed loneliness in women leaders. Um, what What inspired you to write the book? Okay, so I, I became a pastor's wife uh, three years into my marriage. That was uh, in 1996. So when I became a pastor's wife, I had no terms of reference, you know. Like people will always say, you get to choose your pastor, but you don't get to choose your pastor's wife. <laughs> Once you get your pastor, automatically his wife becomes your pastor's wife. So I became a pastor's wife without actually knowing what it was all about, you know. So I felt like I was just left alone to wonder and figure it out any way I could. And uh, during the first three, four years of being a pastor's wife, I... I experienced a form of loneliness, you know, as a pastor's wife. I looked up to a lot of people around me, you know, to kind of help me figure it out, but they they couldn't, I guess, you know, some of them were even trying to figure out who they were too, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I went into this intense loneliness. I felt like I was alone. I felt like I didn't have, you know, anybody to mentor me. I was, people were looking at me, you know, from really far off, but I was going through a lot, not knowing how to balance, you know, being a mother, a wife, and also now a pastor's wife, and now the mom of the church, you know, trying to figure out what does all this really mean, you know, but I guess people naturally expected me to figure that out. So I went into this intense loneliness where I felt I didn't belong, you know, this is not for me. Why did I even, you know, get into this in the first place, you know? And I spent 
several nights really crying, you know, and asking my husband, how do I do this? And he kept on saying one word, just be yourself, just be yourself. And I don't even know how to be myself, you know. I don't really know how to be myself. Not that I can't try and be myself, but I didn't know whether my real self would be acceptable by people around me mm-hmm. in any way. So I, true. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to be somebody that people will accept, you know, that validation. I was looking up to people to really validate me. And that created an intense loneliness and a lot of pressure in me during those, you know, few years of becoming a pastor's wife. Wow. So that was a long time ago. So what inspired you to write the book now? Like, why now? So why now? Because I, I, I can't, I've been, I've been opportune to come across so many pastors' wives, you know, and sometimes when I look into the eyes of some of them, I could see me some years ago, you know, in them. And I felt, you know what, I need to share my experience, you know, I need to put it down in a book. If I need to speak with people in my vicinity, that would not be impactful as just throwing it out there on the book. Somebody all over the world could just pick this book up and begin to look at it and see what I went through and how actually I overcame, you know, some of the dilemma and the crisis that I went through. So I wrote the book to be able to inspire other people to see how I overcame my challenges and how I was able to find my niche within the ministry and for them also to be able to do, you know, exactly the same thing with them. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for writing it because even myself, um, certain experiences, just being new to ministry, I'm like, wow, so this is common. These things are common. It's not, you know, I'm not strange (laughs) for having (laughs) So it came at the perfect time when you gave me the book. Um, You have a chapter called uh, The Pressure of Being Everybody's Superhero. And that chapter was really, really powerful. As a pastor's wife, how did you, and a leader yourself, how did you move away from trying to meet everyone else's expectations of you? Okay, so, uh, you know, expectation is one of the major things that we battle with as pastor's wife. You know, people have this kind of, you know, stereotype, what a pastor's wife should look like, you know, what they should do for them, how they should relate with them, the things that you expected to do. So the pressure was really, really, really huge on me. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that helped me to be able to overcome this pressure is number one, to quit being angel when I'm actually a human being, (laughs) you know? coming to the realization that, you know what, I'm as human as everybody else. You know, being a pastor's wife does not immune me from all the challenges that people face, other women like me face. So I quit being an angel. I'm like, you know what, I'm human. I go through what you go through. I experience what you experience. So that awakening, (laughs) so that awakening in my spirit, you know, knowing that, you know what, you are human. And the earliest you make people know that you're really human, the, 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 the better for you. So I started, you know, I, I, I took off my mask in one word. I took off my mask. I started letting people know that, you know what, I am prone to being tired. I am prone to being overwhelmed. And not only that, there are limits to which the things that I could do, you know, in the lives of people around me, 
You know, I mean, in those days, I would leave off my phone 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. overnight, and I would get calls from women overnight who were having issues and everything. And I was so exhausted, you know, I was so tired. I was, I was completely deflated. And I realized, okay, now I need to really let people know that I am human. And I started, you know, learning to say no to people. Initially, when I started, it was really difficult to say no and not feel bad. I'll say no, and I'll feel bad about saying no because I, you know, the other person may not be pleased about it. But I started learning how to say no. I started learning how to set healthy boundary, you know, with people. I I started also learning how to delegate authority. You know, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I'm somebody who wants things done on point, you know. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give people permission to make mistakes. Even if they don't do it right, it's an opportunity to, to also mentor people. And uh, finding a place to also unwind, you know. Doing a lot of self-care as a social worker, I learned to really, really focus on me, go to the gym and help myself. Having a structure on a daily basis, giving room for one emergency. You know, these are the techniques that I use that really, really helped me because I realized that until I take care of myself, I can't, I won't be able to take care of other people else. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good because especially learning how to say no, I've had to learn that. And it's hard sometimes, especially when, you know, you see that there's a need. But as you said, um, sometimes it's delegating. Yes. yes. Saying you're not the angel. You're not, you know, other people can also help, right? Mm, In those situations and learning to say no, or maybe not me. Like, it might not be me that can help you, but maybe this other person can assist. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So... Do you think there's ever a place for a season of loneliness in our lives? Um, I, I strongly believe that, you know, loneliness is a reality. There's a season for loneliness. And there's also a season for aloneness. Alone, alone and that's one of the things that I wrote in this book. Alone is different from loneliness. Alone is a season in your life or in my life where I kind of felt like, okay, there are, there is, there's no one around. There's no one to relate to, you know? And alone necessarily does not mean that there is nobody around. There could be people around, but for some reason, you're not able to connect with them. And for some reason, and I, I went through this stage in, in, in my journey as a leader where I kind of felt like I'm weird, you know? <laughs> Like, I'm weird, you know, there's this passion in me that I kind of feel like, you know what, people can't keep up with this passion, you know, they kind of feel like, yo, this is just too much for me kind of thing. So that is a state of aloneness. There's a mental aloneness and there's also a physical aloneness where there is nobody around, where you are kind of excluded because of one thing or the other that you are going through. But when you talk about loneliness, in my book, I did say loneliness you know, goes into a state of, you know, emotional emptiness where you feel, you know, completely, um, how do I put this? You no, know, where you kind of feel like you are depleted emotionally, emotionally, emotionally. There's no one, there's, there is people around, but for some reason you felt that inner emptiness and void. 
mm-hmm. you know, arising mm-hmm. from a realization that something is missing, you know, a state of, I call it a state of emotional insecurity and inner emptiness that goes beyond, you know, that you kind of feel like I need something to really fill this void, you know? Yeah, I and, think I, I think what I was referring to, now that you explained the difference, I think yeah. what I meant was more that aloneness, not okay. necessarily the loneliness that you're describing but the aloneness where there's people around but you just don't feel like you fit in you kind of feel Mm. weird um but you're not necessarily emotionally depleted you're just alone alone okay so there's there's room for aloneness and i think sometimes god uses alone to be able to bring the best out of us sometimes because for me as a pastor's wife you know my experience there was there were lots of distractions around a lot of distraction here and there sometimes God will exclude us you know in order to bring the treasure out of us because in an alone state you are forced to look inward and be able to say who am I what's my calling what am I called to do? You know, what is the very reason why God made me? In that alone state, you're forced into that state of less distraction and you're able to look in what to be able to find out who exactly you are. And I think sometimes God uses it as a tool, you know, to be able to bring the best out of us. And the, the, the person that I can remember is Apostle Paul, you know. Most of the two-thirds of the epistle were written by Apostle Paul. When he was in the prison, he was alone. The disciples were in there, families were in there, but then he just poured himself into writing some of those wonderful, you know, epistles that we read today. And honestly speaking, you see, 80% of my book on Alone But Not Lonely, they were actually written at a point when I felt like, you know what, I'm alone, but I've got to make use of this time and just do something really, really good. It was within those moments I said to myself, you know what, I have a story. And if I have a story, I think people will be interested in reading that story. Then I just pick my pen, pick my paper, and started putting something down, you know, about my experience again and again. And today, it, it, it's a book. So sometimes God will use period of aloneness to bring the best out of us as his yeah. children. <laughs> I completely, I completely, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he quiets that noise um, mm-hmm. around us. And then we have those opportunities to really hear from him and to draw near to him. Where yeah. Otherwise, we might not have had that opportunity. You know? Yes, 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 yes. yes a... <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, um, there was a really interesting part of your book that discussed um, sexual sin amongst lonely leaders. And I was really happy to hear and to read that because um, we often hear of the demise of leaders. Every day I feel like there's some, someone being exposed on Facebook or something. You know, we often hear of the demise of leaders due to sexual sin, but we rarely talk about how do we prevent it, what are people mm. going mm. through um, before it gets to that point, right? Uh, what yeah. do you think causes... Oh, and um, in your book, you also reference a study by Christian Today, that said 57% of pastors in the U.S. struggle with pornography addiction. Mm. I was shocked at yeah. that number. That's really high. That's more than 50%. Mm. Um, 
why do you think this is and how can we as leaders and you know just people everyone in the body of christ i believe are leaders anyway how can we all avoid this and what can we do yeah i think the 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 first place to start is as the body of christ it's important that we start talking about it you know in gone are the days when it's a taboo to mention the word sex you know I mean, even, even, hardly do you hear people even talking about special parts, you know? I mean, our, our human, I I mean, our special organ, that sexual organ that God has given to us. You will never hear anybody talking about even in church, even with our children, we, we, we give them little, little names, you know, just to call it without really naming it because we see it as, you know, this is inappropriate. We're not supposed to talk about this. Mm-hmm. If we talk about this, then we're not spiritual, you know. I remember the first time I had mentioned the word sex, why ministry? You know, that was years ago, over, over 11 years ago, you know, an older woman in the church had walked up to me and said, oh, you know, it's not really appropriate in the midst of message to mention the word sex. There are people Why here, not? you know, <laughs> there are people here, you know, what of our teenagers and our youth, we don't want them to have, you know, fantasy about sexual. And I'm like, you know what? Whether we talk about it or we don't talk about it, exactly. the, the internet is talking about it. On the phone, everywhere you look, advertisement, everything around you is screaming it loud and clear. And our children are actually waiting for us to really talk about it and put them through because they all have desires. Of you course, know? yeah. And being Christians doesn't numb those desires, you know, actually they are there, you know. So I think the first place to start is we start talking about it on the altar to realize that, you know what, this is really a passion that God has given to us and God has a purpose for giving it to us and God has given us the capacity to be able to manage it with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. So it has to start from there. All pastors, all pastors' wives, all youth leaders, mommies and daddies in the home, creating a forum to be able to talk about it with their youth, with their teenagers, you know, creating programs in churches to be able to develop an awareness that we know this is going on, but as Christians, this is the best way, how, this is how we handle it. So that's number one that I think. And number, number two, also to be able to handle it is, you know, be very non-judgmental about it because sometimes teenagers won't walk up to us because we don't be vulnerable. Let the adults, you know, the pastors, wife, the older ones, be vulnerable about your struggle, you know, and how you overcame the struggle. Let them know. I had those desires when I was teenagers like you. This is what I did. This is how God helped me. These are the mistakes that I made, you know, so that they don't make the same mistake that we make. So mm-hmm. it's being vulnerable about it, being open about it, being honest about it, and talking about it without necessarily feeling that it's, it's, it's a taboo. Yeah, know, I mean, it can't be so much of a taboo if 57% of pastors are struggling with pornography. To yes, it, right? yes. Like we're just not talking about it, but it's a secret sin. Um, what, of, what about like pastors and leaders that are struggling with it? Is there any any way um, that it can be addressed before it just, before it becomes an addiction and completely takes over their lives? And pornography is um, a symptom of something deeper. I feel like when you have a pornography addiction, 
you're going to have other um, outputs of sexual sin for sure. Like yeah. it's just um, a natural, a natural progression. Right. So what yeah. can leaders do if they're struggling with this? Yeah. I think the, the, the first thing is just to talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it as leaders. And honestly, you know, Jem have received a number of calls as far back as Nigeria and United States of people calling me who are leaders and pastor's wives saying, hey, I think it's time for me to really talk about this. Wow. You know, because they have struggled with it, especially female leaders, you know, whose wife, whose husbands are on the field 24 seven. They are not home all the time. Mm. And some of them, they kind of feel like, oh no, the desire is there. And it started from little, little bit of watching some, you know, movies with, you know, not too explicit into getting into explicit. And before they know it, you know, a woman called me and said, I don't even know how I got here. Wow. I have no idea how I got here. And I'm trying to find my way out. I can't really get my way out of it. You know, so the first thing is, please don't unmask the same. You know, because the first thing somebody wants to do is just to keep it as a secret. And when it's kept as a secret, it keeps growing and growing and growing. You know, so the first thing is talk to somebody Talk to somebody that you respect. So talk to somebody who will be private about it, who will be confidential about it, who's not going to just, you know, blow it open and make it like this big issue, you know, that people begin to, I mean, the shame and the guilt associated with it can be really, really destructive to spiritual life. So prayerfully pick somebody that you can talk to about it. And also, you know, having someone to talk to about it also it helps you to be able to have an accountable person who will be able to say, okay, we are in this together. Uh, what are the practical things you could do on your computer? What are the sites that you could completely wipe out? And if you wipe it out, you know, uh, I'm going to be checking on you once a week to see if you have the desire, could you call me instead of going right there? You know, having somebody who can just walk with them all the way through. Mm -hmm. It's really very, very important. Practicing self-control too, you know, probably just making sure you are off the internet for a while while you sort it out it's also very very important and another thing that i always say about this you know one of the youth that i'm currently working with is renewing your mind through the word of god renewing your mind through the word of god because the emotions and the will they are they are it's an indication that they are will the emotion the passion is very weak and the wheel, you know, some people will say, I don't even know. I just find myself going there. I don't even know how I got there. I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm, several pastors are beating themselves for doing it. So making a conscious effort to address the wheel, to say, you know, what's like, I align my will with the will of God. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are just, I would think on these things. I have the mind of Christ, you know, just quoting the word of God day by day, addressing your emotions to say, align, Holy Spirit, find expression in my emotion, find expression in my desire. I will desire God. I will not desire this, you know. And one powerful thing also that I've used that has also been very helpful with the people that I'm actually supporting right now is never, never see the devil as responsible for this. Mm. You are responsible for it, you know, seeing yourself. Because if, if you see it as, okay, this is the work of the devil, then 
the responsibility is on the devil to leave you alone in order to overcome it. And of course, the devil is not going to leave you alone. So I must see it and say, it is me, Lola, who is doing it. It is me who log on to that website. It is me. It is I, Lola, that is watching it. It is I, you know, make take responsibility for it and see yourself as the one who is doing it. And the powerful thing about that, Jen, is the fact that if you see yourself as the person who is going there to do it, you will see yourself as the person who is capable of overcoming it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow, yeah. that was a word. That's really good. That is very, very true. I like mm. that. Taking accountability, yeah. getting an accountability partner, someone you can trust, and taking responsibility as well as not shaming people and shaming yourself. It, it's yeah. something that happens to a lot of us, and um, mm. but it's something that we can overcome. Mm. Um, through your own experience of loneliness mm. what is the best lesson i know you have lots of lessons but if you had to if you had to narrow it down to one what is the best lesson that you've learned from those seasons hmm. oh there are quite a lot <laughs> i i don't know where, where to start i the first thing i'll probably say honestly jen is the fact that a lone state is a blessing in disguise. Mm. A lone state is a blessing in disguise. And, you know, alongside with that is to say, when you are alone, don't lose your earring ears. When you are alone, don't lose your motivation. Mm. And when you are alone, fill your life with joy. And you will be amazed. The beautiful thing that will come out of that alone state. It's a blessing. And if something is a blessing, that means there are lots of things that are packaged inside that alone state that you need to pull out of it. You know, don't lose your ear in here. Because in that instance, God will be speaking. God will be ministering. God will be saying a lot of things to you, which you need to be able to attune your ears to be able to hear. An example that I will remember is Ruth. You know, Ruth was completely, you know, in an alone state, losing the husband, losing all her children, you know, having two women there, you know, well, daughter-in-law, but the Bible recorded that she did not lose her earring ears. She was able to hear that the famine in Jerusalem was over. Wow. You know, she was able to hear that. And she made a decision to go back, you know, to, to Jerusalem. And that was the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful life with one of our daughter-in-law. So whatever alone state we may be, let's count it as a blessing. Don't lose your ear in ear. Don't lose your motivation and fill your life with joy. And have the Holy Spirit as your companion. It's always there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, I always tell people, you see, it's, it's so sweet when you have that intimate relationship with him. You know, it tells you things. Sometimes it cracks jokes with you. Sometimes, you know, it, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful when you have that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. If he helps you to fill the void, you know, yeah. he's always there talking to you, ministering to you, giving you, revealing hidden treasures to you, you know. 
that no other person can ever just have that, that intimate relationship with him. That's that's one of the greatest lessons that I learned. Yeah, and I completely agree because during those times you really have the opportunities. It is truly a blessing to have that time. Yes, that time yes. alone with him because how often do we ha- really have those seasons? Not mm. often, right? So we really have that um, opportunity during those seasons to draw near to him and he will draw near to us. And mm. I think, um, this podcast will be a real encouragement to those who are going through that right now just to look at it in a different way that it's not um, something negative right now that you have the opportunity to draw near to the Lord and to hear from him and to be guided by him. Mm. Um, If we want to hear more from you and if we want to get your book, how do we find you? (laughs) Oh, so I I live in Guev, Ontario. My book is not on Amazon yet, but hopefully I'm hoping to put it there before the end of the year. But you can get me on my email, uh, which is ajeoshunoyelola at yahoo.com, A-D-E-O-S-U-N for November, O-Y-E-L-O-L-A at yahoo.com. So I'll be okay. more than willing to connect with whoever is willing to buy the book and read. Awesome. And yes, definitely that book needs to be on Amazon. <laughs> I didn't know it was on Amazon. It needs to be on Amazon. It's a powerful, 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 powerful book. Thank you so much, Lola, for sharing your story and sharing um, the contents of your book. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> standing for so long, I forget I stand tall.